And when she raised her shirt up, that's when it hit me. I could see the bullet hole in her back. And I kept saying, we have to go back. We have to go back. Because at that point, I knew that my friend beside me was not okay. I knew I kept trying to find a teacher to go back because I felt like we needed to go and help her. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. We'd like to welcome to the podcast this evening Sister Lindsay Kiefer, who's been going to the Pentecostal Jonesboro here for about 10 years. Uh, she is a former mother of the year. She's taught Sunday school. She's the mother of four children. She's the wife to Eric Lindsay. Thank you for taking the time to come and sit down with us tonight. Absolutely. So, Tony, we're going to have a, a tremendous conversation tonight. Um, you want to kind of cue us in on some of the things we're going to be talking about? So, in lieu of what's happened this week, we decided that we wanted to have a almost like a special episode. We actually had Lindsay in the queue to come on at a later time. Right. But with everything that's gone on in the past week in Ohio and in Texas, we thought it was very crucial to have her on this early where she's actually kind of I told her when she walked in I said Lindsay you're kind of jumping some people online I hope they don't get offended but who cares if they do but the reason we wanted to have Lindsay on is she actually um, witnessed and was a part of a tragic accident that happened in Texas and Ohio weren't you Lindsay yes um, I was actually 12 years old and in the middle school at um, Westside Middle School whenever um, a school shooting took place um in our town whenever i was of course i was quite a bit i was very young at the time it happened in 1998 here in jonesboro and i remember uh whenever we would my parents and i would be driving to like a restaurant and just going out somewhere in town all the car antennas they had the little white ribbons tied to it because the entire city kind of joined together and kind of mourning over this event um again this event took place in in march of 1998 at the time, it was the second most tragic school shooting uh, that was not, did not happen in a college. And um, it, the president, during the, the day of mourning, uh, whenever people got together to, to mourn the, the loss of all these victims, um, the president at the time, Bill Clinton, uh, had sent in a video uh, addressing some of the events that happened there. And um, before we get into that, though, we want to take a second and and really get to know Lindsay. Yeah, let's first. figure out who Lindsay is. Let's find out who Lindsay is. So Lindsay is drinking a Shadrach's coffee, and she claims that she is a coffee connoisseur. She doesn't like Starbucks, and so that may offend a few people out there. But we do not shy away from controversy here on the Crucial Conversation. <laughs> I am not here to offend <laughs> at all. No, that's all right though, because you can offend some coffee drinkers. Because I'm not one, so you can offend anybody but me. I have no. I don't care where I get coffee from. At least. I let, I mean, as long as it's like 5 or $6 for a small cup, I mean, it's got to be good, right? It's delicious. And, <laughs> and they're just my favorite because, like I said, I pull up to the window. They already know what I want. I usually say the usual, and they know what I want, and they bring it to my car, and I'm on my way. So where do you work at? I work at the Jonesboro VA Clinic um, oh, wow. every day. I get to work with veterans, so that's super awesome. I love it. Um, just normal 
doctor's office stuff, check in patients, um, take care of their meds, all that good stuff. That is that is unique. Uh, at, at my work, we get in, of course, I work at the post office, so we, we send a lot of veterans. We'll, from the VA, we mail out or transmit a lot of VA medicine around, and it, it, it really bothers me whenever a veteran calls, and, and for whatever reason, they haven't gotten their medicine. Um, of course, we, we really support the veterans here at the Crucial Conversation. Um, without them, we wouldn't have the freedom to do this podcast. That's right. And so, uh, thank you, Lindsay, for your service to, to the veterans of this country. Um, so, uh, you just got back from family vacation. We did. We did. Yeah. We spent a couple of days in Destin on the beach. It was beautiful. It was nice to just get away. Um, I could have probably stayed much longer, but, um, you know, we just needed that time. It was how, a good, I good gotta, vacation. I got to <laughs> ask, how many times do you have to make pit stops whenever you go on long vacations? Because, you, again, you have four children, and they range from the age of two years old up to 18 next month. 17. And, or seven, oh, she's yeah. turned 17 yeah. Don't okay. put her in that 18 category yet, Don't right? put her there yet. Please <laughs> do not put her. I'm not ready. <laughs> That's funny. But anyway, but how many times do you have to stop? You know, we did down? really good. Um, we stopped, I think, maybe two or three times for gas, but they did great. Like, even Hendrix, he's two, or he'll be two next week, and um, he did great. Um, I, th- I think that we only stopped maybe two or three times at the most. That's better than I could do. Yeah. Which we left real early in the morning, so they slept. That was good. Now, on the way home, we left a little a little bit later, um, but still, Eric was like, this car's not stopping. We're going. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get home. And I can't even, on my way to work, I have to stop halfway between Truman and Perigold, which is a 40-minute drive. I have to stop at the gas stations in Brooklyn just about every morning. I mean, I can't even make it that far. I know. So, trust me. So Every time we start this podcast, hold on, I'll be right back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then during the podcast, the listeners don't hear me. But half the time I'll get up and, and I'll, I'll make my exit for a few minutes. But anyway, so uh, going to like because of times in Florida or things like that, these drives that are multi-hours from where we live, uh, Melissa gets a little irritated. Is, I can understand that. Well, let's get to know you a little bit, Lindsay. Um, you grew up in Bono, correct? I grew up in Bono. That's not there. far from here. No, it's not. And how old were you whenever – take us to that day. Um, we're just going to jump right in. Um, take us to the day. It started out as any normal day, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, and it's crazy because I can remember every single detail of that particular day. I remember what clothes I had on. I remember my shoes. I remember getting up that morning and knowing that it was, um, my friend's birthday. So, um, after school, we all were going to do a, you know, get together, go to the movies. Um, I can't really remember that part, but I know we were getting together. Um, I had a white headband in, I had a red sweatshirt on, um, I played basketball. So we had, you know, the lady warriors basketball sweatshirt. So, um, had that on. Um, I remember going to class. I had to take candy to school that day because what grade were you in? Uh, I was in sixth grade, sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, we were having a party for, uh, particular class period that this actually happened um our teacher if you were um good in class or whatever if you were the best class all month then you got to have a party so that day we were also going to have a party um I remember going to science class I remember going to lunch after lunch um was our fifth period class and this particular class was all girls we were passing out our candy getting ready to have the party um our teacher was at her desk. Um, I'm not sure what she was doing, but she was, I guess, making sure everybody was in class. Um, We were in there for maybe 
I'm not sure, maybe 10 minutes, and the fire alarm goes off. So let me stop you there. For those that do not know the story of what happened is while they're at class, uh, two fellow students, the, uh, the age of one was Mitchell Johnson. He was 13 years old. And then the other son, uh, the other boy was an 11-year-old named Andrew Golden. And what has happened in the story is Andrew Golden has entered into the school and has pulled the fire alarm to get the students outside. And Mitchell Johnson is waiting in the woods for Andrew to return to him. They have raided, I believe it was one of their grandparents, um, their kind of their, their gun safe, I, I would suppose. They had multiple guns on them. They had, I think I, I read somewhere, they had a thousand rounds of ammunition with them. Uh, they had a van that uh, was going to be, it's their grandmother's van, which kind of blew my mind. They were 13 years old, was the oldest, and they had a van that they had driven to the campus as a getaway vehicle and had snacks inside of it. And so that, it, well, Lindsay's living her normal life. This is what's going on on the outside. Right, and um, our teacher, when the fire alarm goes off, she just had this real strange look on her face because typically the fire um, fire drills are planned. You know a day ahead of time or whatever that, you know, you're going to have a fire drill on this day, so this is what you've got to do. Um, so we were all mad, of course. We are you know, in the middle of passing out our candy and our chips and our snacks, and there goes the fire alarm. So... I remember we get in line, um, and again, this is a class period where it's all girls, so several of my girlfriends are in this class, and I remember we walk out the the doors that led to a sidewalk that kind of wrapped um, sort of around the building and right in front of the gym. There were some construction guys working on um, another building they're adding on to the school, so you know you could see the construction guys up there. Um, I would say we were outside for maybe a minute, not even, maybe not even that long, and I start to hear a loud popping noise. I don't know any other way to explain it. Um, it wasn't a sound that I was familiar with, um, and then I see my teacher. She grabs herself and I'm looking at her and she looks like she's in pain and at the time I'm still sort of lost on what's happening Um, I see all this or I hear all this noise and I'm seeing different things but it's still not registering in my mind what is actually happening Um, I'm still I'm looking around and I see a couple people running in the corner of my eye Um, And so one of your teachers had just been shot? Yes, time? yes, she was. Um, she was, was actually um, calling roll um, to make sure that we were all outside. Who, and, who was your um, teacher? Because I know there was a teacher at Westside that had been shot that they ended up becoming a teacher at Valley View where I went to high school. Um, the teacher that I'm speaking about is Miss Thetford. I think, yeah, I think, that, I think she ended up going to Valley View after. Probably so. Um, um, sounds familiar, yeah. but anyway. Um, and, and again, I'm still really confused. I feel like everything around me is going in slow motion and I, I felt like I couldn't move. Um, and then, um, my friend that was standing beside me, um, she was on the ground. Um, and still, even though I could see what had happened, I still, it, it didn't 
feel real, you know. I didn't know. And because, I, again, I didn't know that we were even being shot at. I didn't know that, honestly, in my mind, I'm thinking the drama team is doing some kind of crazy drama here, and this looks so real. But, I mean, again, my mind was just, it was just all in slow motion. And so when I see behind me kids just running as fast as they can I'm thinking okay maybe I need to go I'm gonna run so I run to the gym where everyone is gathered around and another friend comes running at me and she's screaming and she's holding her her back and she's just saying it burns it burns and I'm like what do you mean because at that moment I again I still didn't know that this was something real um And when she raised her shirt up, that's when it hit me. I could see the bullet hole in her back. And I kept saying, we have to go back. We have to go back. Because at that point, I knew that my friend beside me was not okay. I knew I kept trying to find a teacher to go back because I felt like we needed to go and help her. And at that time, the, the teachers that were outside of the gym, they were, you know, shoving us into the gym as fast as they could because they wanted us to be safe. Um, they wanted us to get away from the danger that was out, and no one knew where it was coming from. No one knew, um, you know, where to even begin to look, where, um, where they were shooting from. The guys that were on top of the school that were building the addition to the school, the construction guys, they could see them. They knew where they were at. They were, you know, and I didn't find this out until later, um, that they were, you know, they couldn't get down fast enough. They couldn't, they were trying to get someone's attention that, you know, it's coming from this direction, you know. And so we're, we're in the gym and we had, um, this is something I'll never forget, um, a teacher came around and she gathered us all together and she said, I can't tell you any details right now. I can't tell you what's going on. I'm just going to pray with y'all. Um, that's something that stuck with me for a long time, even though at that I was 12 and I wasn't raised in church, so I didn't even know how to pray. I was so distraught that I, wa- I just wanted my mom. Honestly, my mom was... Um, at the elementary school, which was just right up the hill. And I kept waiting for her because that's all I wanted. I just wanted my mom. Um, She came around, um, she prayed with us. And at that moment, parents were starting to roll into the the gym. They were looking for their kids. And I remember thinking, um, I just kept watching the door because I just kept waiting on my mom. Um, a mother came in that was looking for her child that was still outside. Um, and at that point I didn't know if she was okay. I didn't know the condition. Um, and then my mom comes running. She ran. She had to bust out the doors at the elementary school because she said, my child is down there. I have to go. And so knowing how scared and terrified that my mother was, 
you know, just right up the hill knowing that this is what's going on at the middle school and I have a child there. I'm leaving here to go and find her. Um, So my mom finally comes and all I could do was just tell her, please, 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 we have to go back. We have to go and find her and make sure that she's okay because I knew that she wasn't. Um, I see my basketball coach. She's she's just covered in in blood because she's been trying to help the kids that were outside. Um, she comes to my mom and she says, you need to go. You need to go to the hospital right now and you need to be with, and I don't want to name anybody's name just out of respect for the family, but you need to go and be with them right now. She said, it's not good. And so here I am still really trying to figure out what happened. Um, And so my mom was trying to explain to me because even though I saw, even though I saw what I saw, um, I didn't want to believe it because terrified me did it feel like time stood still it did and I and I felt like everything was just in slow motion I mean even now when I think about it every single thing about that day was just in slow motion um I felt like it was hours before my mom even got there even though I've it was really only like 10 minutes I just kept waiting on her I wanted I wanted her because I knew that When she came, I would be safe. Um, When she finally, um, when she finally got to the school and I could leave with her, all I wanted to do was just go get in her car. I didn't want to look at anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. I just wanted to, to get away. Um, And we were able to go to the hospital. We were able to um, spend some time with. a family that had lost their child that was a, a very dear friend of mine. Um, I played basketball with her, played softball with her. Um, and then I slowly start learning what happened. I start seeing other families at the hospital. I'm, you know, figuring out my one of my dear friends was um, very bad hurt. Um, a lot of my friends were hurt. Um, and it was, you know, when I, when I think back, I think how, how could someone knowingly want to do this? This was a, a plan. They had this plan for a few months. How, like what is in their heart? What is in their mind that made them do this? Lindsay, you know, when you found out who the shooters was, what was your initial reaction to that? You know, a lot of people were not surprised. I wasn't close with either one of them, so I didn't know their background. I didn't know. Um, all I really remember about Andrew is he sat behind me in science class. Um, I wasn't really friends with him. Um, we were in the same grade. We, you know, grew up in school together, but he wasn't. I just wasn't close with him. I was really shy. He was very quiet. Um, Mitchell, the same way. I know a lot of my friends wanted to be like boyfriend and girlfriend with him, (laughs) but um, I didn't, I mean, he was always very nice. I mean, he was in seventh grade, so our 
paths really didn't cross a whole lot unless we were switching class. Um, didn't strike me as someone that would that would even think about doing anything harming anybody um, from what I do remember laid back pretty funny guy like I said I wasn't that close with him but I do remember you know bits and pieces um so you you knew of the shooters I knew of them definitely did definitely. you did you know most of the victims absolutely yes um there were um three of my actual classmates that passed away one girl that was in seventh grade I, I didn't know her that well but I knew of her our school was very small um, and then my um my teacher was it the teacher that was standing beside you? No, no, it was a different teacher. Oh, that's right, because uh, we already talked about how she may have transferred mm -hmm. schools. Um, so in, in total, there were there were ten people, I believe, that were shot, and there were there were, there were four students that passed away, and then one teacher. Right, right. Um, my dad worked with Andrew's grandmother at the post office, and after the event, what happened? Uh, they were the, the again the community was in, in so much shock and, and horror of what happened that actually his grandmother whenever she would go out to do her mail route she was getting death threats every day out on the route and they had to send somebody with her every day to make sure something didn't happen to her and so again this community that we were in Jonesboro has grown by leaps and bounds since then we were a much smaller kind of community and uh, again the community just didn't know how to react Right. And, and I can only imagine being there on that day. You don't know how to really to react to this, being 12 years old. Uh, so what was the next day like? Um, the next day was, uh, I believe it was much more difficult. Um, I remember my mom actually had to go back to work, and it was more so for um, counseling purposes, like they were being counseled on how to help the kids um so I remember my mom um called my grandpa and wanted me to stay with him for the day so we met at the school she didn't go anywhere near the middle school we met at the the elementary school um you know when something like this happens the media just is crazy and we had helicopters flying all around um, cameras watching every move that you made there was a resource officer that was at our school and he was talking about how he was working in the police department at that time and said within 15 minutes of getting the initial reports that the shooting had happened he was getting phone calls as far away as Russia uh, to trying to find out what was happening because the media from around the world wanted to know the story of what was going on here in Jonesboro yeah um when my grandpa picked me up um, we went to his house. He lived over by Valley View School. And I remember going to his house. He had the, the newspaper laying out on his kitchen table. He folded it up and he put it away. He turned the TV off and he said, I don't want you to have to listen or see that. He said, whatever you want to do today, we'll do. And I just wanted to sit there. I was still very scared. Um, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, and I know that they, you know, had been caught, but in my mind, I was still afraid. I was very afraid of, you know, if this can happen at school, where else is it going to happen, you know? But my grandpa was my safe place. Um, he was, um, 
he just took care of me that day. And we did have to go back to school the next day because they really wanted us to keep or be on like a as normal as possible. Keep your mind busy. Right. Um, we had several counselors that came to school um, that were there to answer questions for us or just, you know, be with us. But I was so shy and I was so timid. I was afraid to even tell anyone my part of the day, what I saw, because I felt like if I repeated it, then I was just going to keep seeing it over and over in my mind. And and I did. That's exactly how it played out for me um it was something that I thought about not on like a monthly basis I'm talking about almost every single second of the day that was in my mind all the time could you sleep no and and in the house that I grew up in it was a two-story house I was afraid to go upstairs I was afraid to go upstairs anyway before this happened but um I didn't like the dark at all Um, So I remember I slept on the couch for what felt like months because the way that our house was set up, my couch faced the front door so I could see the front door. I could see the window. I could see if anyone was trying to come in our house. That was my mindset constantly was someone is out to get me. Someone is going to hurt me. Someone's going to hurt my family. Like that was my mindset for the longest time. Um... My mom slept in the chair beside me, um, and I slept on the couch, you know, just, I just felt safe there, you know, and um, if I did sleep, um, it was bits and pieces at a time because, you know, closing my eyes or even trying to rest, I just relived every single second of that day. So we know what happened the day of, we know how it affected you the the past or the next few upcoming days and months do you still struggle with fear I feel like no not not like I did no um I catch myself um doing weird things like people watching um I started doing that immediately um I still catch myself doing that um you know, you see someone walking towards you. I'm, I'm watching their hands. I'm looking in their pockets or whatever. Um, I, I people watch. Um, I'm very careful about where I'm sitting. Um, I'm, I'm not nearly as bad as I used to be just because I feel like God has brought me so far from that day. Um, I know for myself, I can't live like that. I can't live like I did for so long where I was just simply afraid. I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of sitting with my back to the door at the restaurant. I was afraid of, you know, sleeping in an unknown place at a hotel or whatever. I was just afraid, you know, and um, and I've gotten much better about um, loud noises like 4th of July was a nightmare for me for a very long time that's supposed to be a happy celebration you know you take your kids to watch fireworks I couldn't do it I struggled I served I made it through it but every pop every sound just reminded me of that day um, a balloon popping that still 
bugs me. Hey, don't worry. I can't handle balloons myself. <laughs> um, you know, that's like everyone's favorite thing to do at a birthday party is, oh, let's go pop the balloons. And I'm Not like, just me. please don't. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I've gotten so much better about it because God has really, really brought me a long way from from that time in my life. Um, you know, it, it took a while, um, but I'm thankful for like his protection and I'm thankful for, you know, him just delivering me from the, the I don't even know how to explain the, the fear that I had, like that just surrounded me every single day. Was but, there a definitive moment that you feel like that fear went away? I can't think of a particular moment. I know um, one evening here at church. Ooh, let's go, let's tease that, and we'll get back to that later. Because before we jump ahead, I want to see: Have we missed anything about those days that that you want to make mention of, or that you remember that stand out to you? Before we get to uh, some of the deliverance from that, like the days, like what? Like even was the there anything of, that you like? Anything we missed? Like that, you turned to, or thought something that you tried to. You, you thought that would bring you relief that didn't? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, okay, so let's backtrack a little bit. Um, the shooting happened in 98 when I was 12. Um, my grandpa, that was just my safe place, he passed away almost um, a year later. He passed away in 99. Um, that was devastating for me because, like I said, he was my safe place. You know, he was our whole family's safe place. Um, Shortly after he passed, my parents divorced. Um, And that really turned me completely around. Um, As far as, you know, you grow up in a home for 14 years with your parents being married, and then in one day, much like when the shooting happened that day, my whole entire life, was a mess and then my parents divorcing was a whole nother mess on top of that um that just added on to every single emotion that I had um you know I never really experienced death at all um and then when the shooting happened it was such a tragic way to experience I mean death is tragic anyway but it was it was something that my mind just couldn't comprehend at all and with my parents divorcing um like I said that brought on a whole new ball game of feelings um I was mad I was angry I was sad uh you know I wanted you know you grow up in a home with your your parents being married, happy family, this happens, and your whole world just crumbles. Um, So from that point on, um, I think I was 14, um, I had all of these feelings bottled up. Like I said, I was very shy. I was very quiet. It was hard for me to express how I was feeling. Like I would be mad for days or I would be sad for days, and then then I would just explode. I was 14 um, when I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, um, partying, drinking, smoking, uh, smoking marijuana, um, 
because at that point in my life, I feel like I had all these voids. I had so many voids in my life that I wanted to be filled. And I filled those with anything and everything negative that you can imagine. Um, And then from that point on, I didn't care. Um, I didn't care about really anything. And I thought, well, if I can just feel this way and be carefree, then I don't have to feel sad. I don't have to feel fear. I don't have to feel mad and angry. And I don't have to even think about all the things that I had to experience up to this point in my life. And so that's what I did. Um, I just let all of that take over and I continued to do that for gosh definitely a year and a half um like I said if I just if I could just fill up those voids with alcohol or you know smoke pot then I didn't have to feel um all of those things and I didn't have to relive that day over and over and over again I wanted that to go away but at the same time I felt like I was still grieving deeply because so it was justified that's how I felt I felt like well if I can do this then that's justifying my feelings that's justifying my actions um if I can just not have to think about this every single day then that's what I want to do and that's what I did. What was the breaking point from the alcohol and the partying and the drugs? What, how did it come to a head where you said, I can't do this anymore? Um, one night, um, I actually had overdosed on meth. I remember going out with... Um, a couple friends that night and I woke up the next day in the hospital with my entire family standing around me and so how long had you been on this path I I, I don't really don't know a better way to say it was it that year and a half or did it go beyond um it was it was let's see I was 14 um it was a year and a half um, I had met someone that, um, again, talking about filling that void, you also want to feel loved, um, especially a young girl. Um, I had met someone that filled that void for me. Um, someone that I thought, oh, he's going to be my boyfriend. This is going to be great, you know, and, um, that's sort of what started the, the path of using, other drugs and getting involved with other things and the the day that I woke up um in the hospital um you know you have your whole family staring at you knowing what you did you know I hid all of that from my mother (laughs) um I, I lied to her um she had no idea what was going on and you know you wake up and you have Everyone's staring at you, and you're thinking, okay, I've just disappointed my entire family. Um, 
I was extremely shameful because, you know, my dad had no idea. I had no idea. Um, he didn't live here. He actually moved off when my parents divorced. He had no idea um, what I was struggling with, what I was battling with. Um, and so I think it was extremely difficult for me to to see him hurt, you know, um, and that I did that. I caused that. So that was sort of my mindset um, is – I've done this, I've done that. Um, everybody's ashamed of me, you know. My parents are ashamed of me because, you know, now everyone knows. Every, small town, people talk, you know, they knew what had happened to me that night. And so I didn't want to go back to school. I didn't want to be around anybody. I just felt extremely, I don't even know the word. Um, Guilty. I felt guilty. Um, like I said, I was ashamed of myself, um, for one, that it even got to that point, that at some point I wasn't like, okay, this isn't working for me. What else can, you know, what, who can help me? Who can, you know, why isn't anybody seeing that I'm struggling this bad, you know? Um, So during this time, did anybody ever try and reach out to you as far as from a church aspect? Not that I really remember. I did have um, a very good friend of mine um, that, you know, always encouraged me to go to church. Um, and I never did because we'll back up a little bit. And um, during this time, um, I was also a teen mom. Um, I had Haley whenever I was 16. Is mm -hmm. Haley's father the, the boy you were talking about that you felt like he was the guy that kind of was filling your void? Yes, yes. Um, first real boyfriend that I ever had. Um, and, you know, he was a person that so many people were like, oh, stay away, stay away. I didn't want to because, you know, I thought, hey, he loves me. And that's how I felt. And, um... I had Haley when I was 16, um, and... When you would go to town, did, did you feel like people were looking at you because you were a teen mom? Oh, absolutely, and it was something that kept me from... If I was invited to church or whatever, that kept me from going. Um, my good friend, Amanda, invited me to go to church with her, and I went once, and... I left and I thought, I'm never going back. Uh, all those people were staring at me. Here I am in high school. I have a baby. Even though I don't think that they were truly thinking that, that's how I felt. I felt everyone is looking at me like, why are you even here? You don't belong here. Um, so I didn't go back. Um, I didn't want to. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with anybody who, in my mind, I was thinking was judging me. Um, so it was difficult really to you know, want to accept an invitation to go to church or any kind of church function because that was my mindset is everyone knows what you've done. Everyone knows that you have a child, so you don't belong here. That's truly how I felt. Um, again, not that they said anything or did anything to make me feel that way. That's just how I felt. Um, so Amanda was mainly your only bridge between you and, and any – 
any form of Christianity in, in relationship with God. Yes, yes, she was. Um, you know, always go to church, go to church. And I'm, I don't want to. And that was my mindset. I, I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to have any kind of relationship with anybody at church at all because, again, I just felt judged or I felt like they were looking down on me or they would think, why are you here? You don't belong here. So with, with Amanda being important in your life, um, talk to us about about Amanda's story and her impact on you. I met her whenever we were six years old. We were in the same first grade class together. Instantly became friends. Um, she was, you know, dark hair, blue eyes. Um, her mom and my mom became friends as well. And we were just inseparable. Um, her mother actually um, held her back when we were in third grade. So when I was in the middle school when this happened, I mean, it was actually still in the elementary. So she wasn't there in the middle school when this happened. Um, and that actually brought us much closer together um, because I was able to talk to her but not tell her so much that I didn't want her to have those visuals like I had um but we were friends um up until um she passed away um in September of 2009 um she uh, I'm sorry her birthday's in September she passed away in June of 2009 and um she battled with cancer um, so we got to have lots of lots of talks before she passed. Um, I remember one night we were talking, and she just flat out told me, "Take your kids to church, please." Uh, no, I, I I don't want to. You know, I was still in that mindset. I just, I'd done everything so backwards in my life at this point. I I had Haley, and I was pregnant with Hudson, and. Um, I just, I was like, I, you know, it's, it's not for me. It's not something I want to do. I'll, but it was always in the back of my mind that that was our conversation. Um, and she passed away in June of 2009. When she passed away, that had to have a very big impact on your life. It did. Um, I was able to be with her when she passed. Um, that alone probably affected me more than really more than anything because she was just my person you know she was that person that told me the truth whether I wanted to hear it or not told me if I was messing up told me the good things too she was so proud of Haley um she was that one friend that I had that you know didn't shun me at school didn't make fun of me didn't um make anything difficult for me she made sure that she was that person that was always always with me um do you think Haley would be involved in church today without her I don't think so no um Haley knows um the impact that Amanda had on my life and hers um she she would take Haley to church if I didn't you know she would take Haley to uh, vacation bible school or Sunday school um, 
because I did not want to go. I just didn't. Um, but when she passed, I did have a very hard time after Hudson was born. Um, I wasn't, I didn't grieve her death properly at all um, because it was so difficult for me to just understand like this person was so good. She was so good. Um, and so she had felt- to battle with cancer. She had to battle with sickness. Um, I felt like she didn't deserve that. So you lost your confidant in your grandfather. Right. Then you lose your best friend. Right. So you kind of feel like you don't have anybody or anybody else to turn to. Right. And she was my person. And so I did struggle. I struggled terribly after she passed and after I had Hudson. Um, I sort of spiraled out of control again, not using drugs, but at that point it was just the drinking. Um, go to a friend's house, you know, drink until I passed out, wake up in the morning and be like, what just happened? You know, um, that was sort of my lifestyle for a good six months. Um, not every day, but enough to know that this isn't what I need to be doing. Um, I remember waking up one day thinking, there's got to be something better. There's got to be something better than drinking until you pass out. There has to be a better feeling. There has to be something better to feel the void that I had. Because when she passed, I think it just brought back every single struggle that I had when I was younger. And I'm not sure that those struggles really ever left me because I didn't want them to. I felt like if I, you know, didn't grieve or if I wasn't sad or if I wasn't angry, then I was somehow not grieving the death of the friends that I lost. And I was doing them sort of like an injustice because I wasn't sad that they were gone. That was just my mindset. Um, And so I... I was back at that place where I was mad and I was angry and I was sad and I was feeling all these different things and drinking filled that void for me. Um, I was working with a girl that um, was having sort of some of the same issues that I was um, and she said, let's go to church. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. She said, my parents really want me to go. They want me to get my life right. I need to go. And I said, well, you know what? I need to get my life right, too. Let's go. This was probably in, I'll say, March or April of 2009, uh, 2010. Um, 2009, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what year it was. Um, so I go to church with her a couple of times, and it's okay. You know, I liked it. Um, it was church you know I really had never gone consistently so I didn't know what to expect I didn't know um really anything um and she called me one morning and she said you know what I was already dressed and ready to go I had to drive to to bay to her church anyway so I was already dressed and ready to go and she calls and she says you know what I just don't want to go today she said my parents are going to be mad at me but I'm just not feeling it I don't want to go I'm not ready to get my life together. And I was like, well, what am I going to do now? I didn't know where to go to church. At that point, were you ready to get your life together? I was because I was tired. I had struggled 
for so long and I had relied on so many other different things to fill my life I was just ready I wanted to first fulfill the promise that I made to Amanda that I would go and then I I just wanted to be better I wanted to be a better person I wanted to have a better mindset I wanted to just feel better and we're about 11 years removed from from the shooting are you still at this time struggling with a, a lot of the emotions from that day still I am, um, or I was at that point, yes, um, because I I don't think that I ever properly dealt with had it. dealt with it anyway. I just tried to fill those the void with anything and everything possible. So, so the you're day dressed and ready for church. I'm dressed and ready for church um, that same exact day. Um, And this is what I love because this is how God works. (laughs) That same exact day um, that I had sort of been uninvited (laughs) to church, I got a text message from my dear friend Candace um, inviting me to come to church. And I was like, just tell me where to go because I'm already dressed and ready. Um, She tells me where to go. And I pull in the parking lot here and I was like, I'm not going in there. I'm not going in. And she was like, get out of your car. Come on. Um, So. Culture shock. Culture shock. I come in. (laughs) See, here's the thing. Uh, uh, Lindsay looks like she just stepped off the cover of the Pentecostal Herald magazine. Or I think it's the Pentecostal Life now. Uh, But, you know, seeing her today, you would not know the story that she's had. That Pentecostal GQ. And, 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 And so now here she is for the first time walking into an apostolic church service here. At the time, we were Calvary Pentecostal, United Pentecostal Church. And um, I will say that, well, you go ahead. You tell the story. Okay, I'll tell the story. So I come in. um, Honestly, I did not know what to expect. I just knew that I needed to be here. Um, I knew that it was just time. It was time for me to get my act together to straighten up and to just do right. Um, so here I am. I don't look like anybody else here. I'm not dressed like anybody else here. Um, but you know what? It didn't even matter. Um, I think when I came here, it was um, May, yeah, May of 2009. And... For the first time in my life, and this was one church service, I felt I had walked into a room where I felt accepted. I felt loved. I didn't even know these people. I knew a handful of people that were coming to church here. Um, My best friend was coming to church here at the time. She's the one that invited me. Um, And just to feel that, freedom for the hour and a half or so that I was here was exactly what I needed exactly what I needed I needed to be able to feel God because I hadn't ever really felt him before I needed to know how to talk to him because I never knew that I could just say hey God this is what I need today I need you to clear my mind (laughs) I, didn't, I wasn't taught those things. I didn't know 
that that was even available to me. Um, and on June the 21st, 2009, um, I received the Holy Ghost and I was baptized in Jesus' name. Um, I always keep that, that date in mind because I never want to forget what God did for me. Not just that date, but every single day after that. Because It's truly the day that you restarted your life. Absolutely, yes. Um, it was a total new beginning for me. Um, and it, it's been a process. I'm not going to lie. It's been a process because I'm still learning. There's still things that I'm learning. Um, I'm not a Bible scholar by no means. <laughs> but um, the the freedom that I feel, the love that I feel from God, the chains that have been broken like you know all through my struggles all through the drug addiction all through you know drinking all through having Haley whenever I was young all of those things I feel like even though I didn't know it God was still working all of that out he I feel like I, I went through those struggles to be able to share this testimony, to be able to tell other people what God can do for you and what God can use you for and what he can deliver you from. You don't have to stay in that dark and lonely place like I was. Um, You just have to surrender. You have to let him. And that was hard for me because up until that point, I needed to be in control. And the way I controlled how I feel or how I was feeling was drugs and alcohol. That's how I controlled how I felt. And you can't do that. You can't allow yourself to, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to, you know, be angry, but you can't stay there. If you stay in that dark place, you're going to go down a road of misery, honestly. And that's exactly where I was heading. That's where I was for so long was just a miserable person. And all I really needed was just to surrender and let God do his work. And he did. And he's still doing it. <laughs> so. so so, talk to me. When, when you're here during this time, it was while we're in revival here at the church. I think there was about 100 people that ended up praying through to the Holy Ghost and getting baptized. I was not a member of the church at the time. Uh, Tony's wife was a member at the time. Um, we had an evangelist, uh, Robert Tisdale, that was here preaching. And if you've heard Robert Tisdale preach, he is not a very calm preacher. He's very, <laughs> He's very... not. And I think that's what I needed. I needed someone to be bold and in my face and say, you don't have to be like that. You know, that's, you don't have that's a to. misconception that is wrong with not just our faith, but with Christianity in general, is we think we have to beg for something that God willingly gives us. Right. You know, the Bible clearly says, uh, according to his word, the the Holy Ghost is a gift. So somebody who struggles with, God, I want to have the Holy Ghost, please give me the Holy Ghost, it's something we don't have to beg for because it's clearly written that it's a gift. We can talk to God as if we're us three are talking right now. You know, and, and that's a very misconception of religion and Christianity as a whole. And for you to say that when you walked into this church for the first time and you didn't realize that that was even an option, how many people out there do you think thinks the same thing? Right. It's not an option. Right. 
so but what I was getting to with that, which that is an awesome point that that again it is a free gift that is for everybody. But but here's what I, I want to focus in on into in the to a listener out there that may have found themselves uh, kind of where you were with the different struggles and, and haven't been able to connect with God the way that they want and, and have the relief. I want you to talk to us about what was it like walking down to that altar for the first time? Do you, like, can you remember who was praying with you? Can you remember that first feeling of, of oh my God, this is real? Because um, Brian and I both did it as children. <laughs> yes. And so, and so we, we have this very different perspective. Ex- exactly. So what is it? Is it embarrassing to walk down? To no, the front not at all. No, I wasn't embarrassed. I just had to have the. I had to focus on me. I could. Had you gone focus. before to the altar, or was this the first time that you'd gone uh, on June twenty first? Uh, no, I had gone to the altar before, but on June twenty first, it was just different. Um, I felt like I. I think I'd been going maybe about a month I'm not really sure what day I came in May but I want to say that I had been coming consistently for maybe a month I'm honestly not sure um but I was I was seeking for at least a couple weeks before that because like I said I just wanted something I wanted to feel God in some way I wanted to let go of all of the things that I had inside of me that were not good for me. Different feelings, different emotions, different, um, you know, I was regretful of some of the decisions I had made. I was full of guilt for um, several different things. I wanted to be able to release that and not have to be in that place constantly. Um, I mean, because when I say that these things were on my mind it was on my mind on a daily basis not just periodically not just you know before you go to bed it was just constantly every single everything weighed on me so heavy um I don't remember anybody specific praying with me um maybe Sue Flynn I do remember her shout out Sue Flynn yeah shout out to (laughs) Sue Flynn I think she told me to spit my gum out (laughs) 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 I don't remember if that was her or not that said that but someone did um and then I remember receiving the Holy Ghost and I just immediately felt different and then I remember Brother Chance asking me if I wanted to be baptized that night um and I didn't even hesitate I was like yes and then I was like I gotta call my mom (laughs) I wanted my mom to be here um so I was baptized that night. Um, Who baptized you? Brother Ramsey. I, I will, honestly didn't know yes, that. Yes, <laughs> yes, he did. He did. I have a picture of him baptizing me. Brother Ramsey is Tony's father-in-law. My late father-in-law that, I'll be honest with you, Lindsay, the only regret I have is not knowing him longer. Right. What, what, does, what does his death and legacy mean to you? Um, he actually... Um, him and sister uh, Kim asked me to teach Sunday school. Um, I had come we back. We taught together. Yeah. He had come back, or we had come back from NAYC, I think. And I think sister Kim sent me a text message, said she wanted to talk to me. Well, I was so nervous. I was like, what did I do? What does she want to talk to me about? Um, they called me to their office and asked me if I would be willing to teach Sunday school. Um, I Again, at that point, 
there was still so much that I needed to learn, so much that I didn't know. And I thought, why me? Why are you asking me to teach Sunday school? I'm didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel qualified at all. Um, I just and then you know I kept thinking. I'm, I need to do this. This is something that I can learn, and maybe I am able to, to reach out to a kid or, or someone and teach them just something, you know. Um, so now I've been teaching Sunday school since, I guess, 2011. Um, time gets away from me, but I think since 2011. Um, I've definitely grown a lot since my first um, Sunday school lesson. <laughs> I love my kids. I love, um, I have the some very consistent um, kids that are here every single Sunday, and they just make my life better. They, um, you know, we have kids that come from the bus, and, you know, when they come into your classroom and they're just so excited to see you, in that moment you feel like okay I might not have it all together I might not have my whole lesson memorized but I've studied and this is what I've got for the day but that moment where they're so happy to see you they come in and they hug you or if you weren't here the last week I was gone last weekend um you know coming into Sunday school after being gone and they're like oh I missed you last week that's that's the best feeling and that's what it's about is forming that relationship with these kids and showing them love from a person that they only see on a weekly basis, um, once a week. Showing them that love is something that I needed when I was a kid. Showing them, not that I didn't have love from family, but showing them that there is someone in the church that loves you, that cares about you, that wants you to live your life for God. And to me, that's what it's all about, is teaching those kids that just because society thinks that you're this or that, you have someone in the church that loves you and cares about you and wants the best for you, which is to live for God. So we kind of took a little sidetrack there. Um, I want to get back to when you were baptized. Brother Chan said, would you like to be baptized? David Ramsey baptized you. When you came up out of that water, what was the first feeling that you had? Do you remember? Because you're, you're explaining this very vividly. Yes, um, I remember. Um, I was ecstatic because, for one, my mom got to be here. I wanted her to be here for me to be baptized. Um, she was actually back there with me. But I know it's crazy, but if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, then you know it is a totally different feeling. When I came up out of the water, I just felt different. I felt a happiness that I hadn't felt in so long. I felt freedom that I hadn't probably ever felt. Um, I felt joy. I didn't have a whole lot of joy in my life at all. Um, I just felt different. I felt a, a happiness that it's hard to explain unless you've been there, but it's it's just a feeling that I feel like everybody needs. So you you went through all that. You you've got baptized. You've got the Holy Ghost. You're starting a new life. Since you've started your new life, 
did you or do you still struggle with the shame or guilt from your past? Yeah, and like, and with that, if you could tie in uh, before we you were about to tell us a story about some of the the uh, release that you had. Uh, if if there's a way you can kind of tie in those two stories about how how God has begun the process of healing from your past. My question was, she said, "What was your question?" My question was, since you have started your new life, your new walk with God. Did you ever, or do you still sometimes struggle with the guilt and shame of your past? I, I did for a while, um, because it's not magic. It doesn't, um, or in my opinion, it, it doesn't change everything in that instant. Um, I struggled with um, shame and guilt because at that point when I was baptized, I was still struggling with forgiveness I was struggling with um the shame and the guilt because I still didn't know because uh, I'd only been coming here for a month I still didn't know hey you need to say those things out loud you need to ask God to release those things from you um because when I got the Holy Ghost it was just like a prayer of I want to be different <laughs> you know I want to I, w- I want to be changed um so there was a period of time where I still battled with things, but I didn't battle with those in a way of, okay, I'm struggling today, so I'm going to go drink at the bar, you know. Instead, I was letting God fill me up. I was letting him use me. I was letting him be my strength because I was starting to learn, okay, this is what all that you have to do. Ask God, and he's going to help you. Um what was your question you can directly ask (laughs) okay what was your question because i forgot already (laughs) my question was okay i'm going to ask you the question that i was going to give you and i'm going to prepare you because after this in response i'm going to ask you two big questions i don't want you to be nervous about it but i'm going to ask you two pretty big very heavy questions okay and so man the look that she's giving me right now she's (laughs) like what in the world take a drink of that coffee yeah let me get a sip you guys listen listen for it Okay. <laughs> My question was about moments that you you had, and specifically, you were going to talk about one moment where like fear began to lift off you. Okay. Um, I'd asked you earlier about different. If you can talk to us about that particular moment you were going to tell us about, and maybe even other pivotal moments that you've had uh, since you've been in this walk with God, um, where you, because the thing is about what we're a part of, it isn't limited to just one initial time in which you can really connect with God. But there's so many ways as you begin to grow and as you begin to mature, there's other events that happen in your life where it's just these pivotal moments where God just shows up in a special way, and it's like it gets better and better and better as time goes. Uh, But anyway, I'm kind of getting sidetracked. But back to the core question is, what were some of those moments that you felt like the past was beginning to lift off of you? I remember a service, and again, I'm terrible with time, so I'm not even sure a time frame of when this even happened. Um, but I do believe it was Brother Bustard that was here, and he did a prayer line. And if you're struggling with this or if you're struggling with that, get in line. And I'm not going to lie. I was afraid. I was like, I don't want to go get in line. I'm not going to do it. I'm okay. I'm good. Well, it just kept, like, tapping on my shoulder, like, go get in line. You need to tell him right now 
exactly what it is that you're battling. Um, and I kept talking myself out of it. And then I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to do it. And all he wanted to know was what you needed prayer for. That's all he wanted to know. He didn't want to know details. He didn't want to know anything else. That's it. Um, so I remember just saying fear and anxiety because um, anxiety goes hand in hand with fear. Um you know, you're, you're fearful for this. And then at the same time, you've got anxiety so bad that you're shaking or you're so nervous. Um, so I remember at that point I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go through the prayer line. I've never been in a prayer line before. I'm gonna go through this prayer line. I'm gonna say out loud exactly what it is that I need. And I believe that was the beginning of it because I think sometimes we are afraid to let other people know if we're struggling we don't want to tell people um and it's okay it's okay to tell people that you're struggling I think um because you never know what that person may be struggling with and what you can do to help them so I believe it was in that time where it really started and I really started thinking you know I've got to let God just work this out for me I have to stop trying to control it I have to stop trying to be um you know stop trying to figure it out on my own I can't do this on my own none of us can do this on our own we have to have God to work it out and I believe it was in that time where I was ready to release that and let God handle that and let God work that out for me and from that point on um I just kept telling myself, you can't go back to how you used to be. It's not worth it. It, That's not the life that you want. Um, And more recently, um, every year on the anniversary of March 24th, it's a difficult day for me. Um, Not in a sense that, um, that I still have all of those feelings it's just emotional because there were lives lost there were lives that were changed forever mine included um you know my friends that suffered injuries that were life-altering um March 24th is just a difficult day for me um March 23rd is an even more difficult day for me because in my mind that was the last normal day of my life and um, I struggle on that day because, you know, go back to being a 12-year-old kid and something like this happens to you, you, you lose a lot of things. You lose your childhood. You lose your innocence. You experience death in a way that no one should ever have to experience. Um, so that day is difficult for me. Um, and on the 24th, um, there's two girls that I always get together with, um, and we always go to the school. We always take roses out there. We go to every single grave. We just have that day for just us. And my husband has been so gracious to, to let me just have that day um, sort of to myself. Um, he's very patient. He's very um, considerate. I've never... I've just wanted it to be 
me and my two friends that go. Um, it's very, um, I'm not sure of the word. Um, Does it bring you closure? I don't know if it brings me closure. It's just, I don't know how else to say it other than it's just something that we need. Like we, we three, we need to be together. We need that time just for us. And it's always just been us three. I mean, there's other groups that go. and um, But more recently, it was this year, um, March 24th, just happened to be on a Sunday. And I woke up that morning, and I, I didn't even want to come to church. Um, just there was this heavy, dark cloud around me, um, and I could feel it. I mean, early on in March, and I had actually told um, some women in the church about it um, just because I needed them to pray for my mind because I didn't want to go back to that place. I didn't want to go back to that, the feelings that I had. And so, like I said, March 24th this year was on a Sunday. I was trying to get ready that morning, and I just kept I had to take a deep breath and I had to go sit down and I couldn't get myself together. And um, I told Eric, I was like, I, I just feel weird. I don't know how else to say it other than I just feel weird. And he was like, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay that, you know, this day's difficult for you. It's okay to feel that way. Um, you know, just go sit down, take a time out for a minute and, you know, just rest for a second. And, that is specifically why Brian and I wanted to do this podcast, Lindsay, is because we want to let people know that it's okay to not be okay. Right. It's okay to share those feelings with people. Um, we, especially as apostolics, feel the need to hide behind a lie. We really do. And I was listening to you as you were saying that you were going to be walking and through that. And that lie is... No, I'm okay. Yeah, exactly. And I was listening to when you said you were, you were struggling with walking through that prayer line. And for those who don't know who Morton Bustard is, he's a um, we call him a modern day prophet in our organization because he operates very heavily in the gifts of the Spirit. And whenever you said that you struggled to go through that prayer line, I wonder how many blessings have been missed because we as apostolics lie to ourselves. Right, and I feel like if you ever have that feeling. If something is ever saying, go to the altar, go through the prayer line, go pray with someone, you have to do it. If you don't, like Tony said, if blessings can be missed if you don't. Um, back to the 24th, um, I didn't really share with anybody outside of, um, we had a small group, um, which is where I talked to the women in our small group. Um, it was women after restoration. And I shared with them, like I'm sharing with you guys now, um, just part of my testimony. And I expressed to them that usually the beginning of March, even though I try not to have any kind of negative feeling, I try to you know, always be positive and think on the bright side, this dark cloud seems to sort of hover around me and I told some ladies about it and I came here I walked in the church that Sunday and again I didn't even want to be here and I'm not sure why I don't it was just a feeling I didn't want to leave my house I just didn't want to 
to be anywhere. I didn't want to come that particular Sunday. That's unusual. That is not the norm for me. Um, so uh, I come in, and again, I'm j- I just feel sort of like a again like on that same day, everything happening in slow motion, and. I had to keep just kind of taking a deep breath. I sort of, I've never, not to my knowledge, ever had an anxiety attack, but that's sort of what I felt like I was having. I was just taking deep breaths and, you know, I was just struggling really bad. And I'm not even sure how Brock knew that it was the anniversary. Um, I don't know. It wasn't anything that I mentioned to him. I don't know if he just knew. I'm not sure. But the beginning of service... He had mentioned it, and I just sort of kind of fell apart. Um, I think we had an altar call at the very beginning of service, um, and Tawana came and drug me to the altar, um, her and a few others, and she was very bold and said she was going to pray that dark cloud away because I think she could feel it too. She could sort of feel it around me. Um and they did, and she said, it's not gone yet, and I'm going to keep praying for you, and it was that day that I feel like was the final sort of release for me, even though it's emotional for me to talk about, I don't, I haven't felt a dark feeling, I haven't even had a flashback, I haven't had um, any kind of negative thought, negative feeling. Um, and this is something that I battled and struggled with for 21 years. Um, more so of the, the flashbacks and the visuals and the, the dark cloud. Um, I believe 100% that it was released that day. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the people in our church that know how to respond to, a person in need. That was that's exactly what I was specifically going to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What does a church family like that mean to you? It means for me it means everything because that's exactly why I'm I'm here. That's why I wanted to be here is because the moment I walked in this door 11 years ago, 10 years ago, I immediately felt like family. There's never been a time where I didn't feel like my family didn't belong here or that my family wasn't welcomed here. Um, there was, there's never been a time where I felt judged or looked down upon because of the things in my past. I've never felt, um, even, you know, the way that I used to dress, I never felt unwanted here. I felt like you felt like this was a a home. This is, and it was what I had been searching for for so long was, just a place to call home and a place where people just love people no matter what you look like no matter how you dress no matter where you came from and that's what our church is to me is my family so are you ready for my two big questions (laughs) because in the in-between time I've thought of three more (laughs) one at a time please (laughs) okay I'll give it to you one at a time okay one at a time so looking back on March 24th 1998 or even beyond that your parents divorce Amanda's passing away would you today go back and change any of that 
because without all these events, you wouldn't be here today. Right. That is a tough, tough question. Um, but I'm going to answer it honestly. Um, it may be an unpopular answer, but no, I wouldn't because what you said, I would not be here. All of those events, all of the heartache, all of the struggle, every single bit of that led me here, led me to the relationship that I have with God now, led me to my family, my husband, my kids, all of that. I, there's no way that I could go back. If you change one thing, then it could alter everything. And I could not even be here. I could not even be alive. You know, the, the, not that I overdosed. I should not be here. I should not be breathing. I mean, it was that extreme. So, no, all of those things played a major role in why I'm here and how I got here. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant it for good. Absolutely. So, if we don't ask this question, uh, half our listeners are going to unsubscribe to us <laughs> because they're they're probably thinking it's the most obvious question out there. And when we we told people we were going to talk with you, Lindsay, everybody said you have to ask her this question. I and, know where he's going with and, this. And I tried to, I wasn't going to, but just because of the feedback. As someone that was present at a school during a shooting, what do you think we should do about guns in American society? She fell out of her chair. <laughs> It's okay. Talk. I mean, you can speak honestly. This is, this is opinionated. Okay. I'll probably have another unpopular opinion, but that's okay. Um, my personal opinion, um, I think that there should be control on certain weapons, certain guns. I feel like in my home... We do have a gun for protection. I don't know how to use it, but it's there. Um, my husband does. Um, I just have to think of it as if a person is set out to do evil, they're gonna do it. They are gonna do it, whether they buy it, steal it, whatever it, however it is that they. Get it. A person can be evil with a spoon. A person can be evil with any kind of weapon. Yes, I do feel like there should be um, maybe more extensive background checks. I'll be honest, I'm not even sure what all they have to do for that. Um, I'm not up to par on even all of the laws, but maybe more extensive background. I do not think that the good citizens <laughs> need to be swapped of their weapon that could save a life, save their family, protect their family. Um, I, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, you're. I mean, I think that should be the. That's, that's why we both kept our mouth shut, is because we wanted your true opinion. Yeah. And like I mean, with me. Even after this happened, not once was I ever scared of a gun. I wasn't scared of the gun itself. I wasn't scared that the gun was, or a gun was gonna shoot me. It's the person behind the weapon. Um, It's evil. It's the, I I don't know. I've just never, I was raised in a home where my dad and my brother hunt. So we had guns in our house, you know? I I heard it the best on the radio today, Brian. 
a gun is the convenience of evil. Mm-hmm. It's what makes it easy. Right. I mean, I agree so with that. We agree with that. With me, kind of how I see this, and, and this is my personal opinion, is I'm not a big fan of doing things just for the sake of doing them. Like I, I hate to think that some sometimes that some of these laws are just put in place just because they're like, hey, we got to do something, because ultimately whatever law they sign in just moves the goalpost. Even if they were to pass laws about mass confiscation of guns, and then it's bombs, it's knives. Yes, a gun makes it easier sometimes to take out multiple people, but a bomb can do that too. Right. So ultimately, here's the only law that really matters: it's the law that's written on your heart. And how in the Bible it talks about how on the stony tablets of their heart I will write my law. Until we you figure out a way to pass a law that changes the morality in a person's heart, ultimately whatever signed in is not going to change anything. It just moves the goalpost. It just right. changes how they're going to do it. And so what's the answer? I know it sounds, in, in, because it's coming from a Christian uh a uh, Christian uh, perspective, it may sound like a, a cop-out to some people, but in reality, that's the only way I can see to change the situation is we've got to figure out a way to change the hearts of people. Right. And I feel like it's a, a, a people issue, not a gun issue, not another weapon issue. Yeah, like, I, it's a people this issue. This isn't a political podcast, but gun laws in Illinois are so strict, but it has got the highest gun crime rate exactly in the United States. And so, ultimately, we all agree it takes a change in a person's heart. Absolutely. And changing the people's heart. Absolutely. Lindsay, as a person who's had multiple changes in their hearts and multiple experiences, when you talk about going through that prayer line and when you went to the altar that first time and you'd received the Holy Ghost and, and when you were baptized in Jesus' name, you had just a few weeks before that had gone to another church, but when you came here, you felt something that was different. This is probably the biggest question we have to ask, and is this, are you convinced that this is the truth? Absolutely. It is the truth. Um, And I don't even know how to explain that it's not, because every single thing that I have ever needed from God, whether it was something financial, something in my mind, something in my family, something that anything that I've ever just needed, something big or something small, God has provided that. Um, I don't know how people walk through this life without God. I don't know how they walk without truth because it's vital. You have to have God working in your life and I know that now. I didn't know that many years ago. Um, the feeling that I felt when I got the Holy Ghost, like I remember the next day I was on the phone with Candace and both of us, neither one of us could stop talking about how how good I felt, how um, different I felt, and that it isn't a made-up story that isn't that is something I experienced um and I remember I had gone to um, a church service with a friend at a different church um different I guess denomination um and what I got out of his message was that he used to be 
apostolic and he is no longer and I'm not even sure how I ended up in this church service actually but I was there and he started saying things that was really bothering me because he was saying things like something about it being a show something about it being for everyone else to see like I was squirming in my seat because I wanted to stand up and be like I've got the Holy Ghost and you're sitting here saying that it's a show it is not a show because I've got the Holy Ghost and I don't know how else to say it but it is not a show like when I left there I thought I know exactly where I need to be and that is my church like I said I'm not even sure how I ended up in that church service in the first place someone invited me um I was still very new and fresh here um and when he was saying those things all I kept thinking was I can't believe he's saying this if he used to be which tells me he probably had the Holy Ghost you know and now he's sitting here talking about how it's a show I'm like no absolutely not there's no there's no show about it like this is the real deal and so you may have already asked this answered this question in in a roundabout way but i have to ask you this before i got to set it up i have tremendous respect for you in that that you are here in that first of all i have respect on you for for you for the boldness you had to come on here to tell this story these personal stories because these are the kind of things that people would probably shy away from and so i thank you for that but I got to ask because we had revival in 2009 and all these people came into the church. They all left. And I think that you're the only one that's still here. And, and I got to ask you, what was it that was different for you? The, the, why is it that you stayed? And then, of course, we can't judge why others left. But why is it that, that you were like, no, this is where I'm going to make my home. This is where I'm going to be. I think when you go through all of the things that I had gone through, you struggle, you have a heartache, and you're lonely, and you're longing for a, a, just a different feeling. You're desperate for something, something other than what you've been doing something other than drugs and alcohol. When I came here, like I said, I, for the first time, I felt welcomed. I felt accepted. I felt like when I walked in here, no one was looking at me like the drug addict girl that got pregnant in high school. You know, like no one made me feel that way. Um, and ultimately it was, I knew that I needed to be somewhere where I could feel God, where I could. And I've definitely felt God the first five minutes that I was here during the worship. I was like, this is awesome. You know, you're just able to, there's just a, a freedom in here. There's a, um, you're able to just surrender. And a good friend of mine that evening, I called her and she said, Lindsay, you can't, focus on everybody else and what's going on around you. You have to focus on yourself and what you need from God. And from that point on, I thought, okay, well, this is what I need from God. I need just to 
release all of this stuff that I have built up. I need to get my life together. I just want to live right. That's all that I want, and everything else will just come along with it. Everything else that I need will just eventually happen. Just fall into place. Right. And that's honestly exactly what happened. I was able to learn, okay, you can talk to God. You can say these things to him. You can have a conversation, and he's listening to you. Like, my whole life growing up, I never knew that. I never knew this is all that you have to say. All you have to do is have a conversation with God. Um, So to me, this is home because of, one, how everyone made me feel. Everyone made me feel welcome. Like I said, for the first time in my life, I felt like I belonged somewhere, and no one was worried about what I looked like or where I came from. They didn't care. They were happy that I was here. That alone made me feel wanted and important and wanted in a way that here we're family. You can, you know, you can go out to eat with us. You can, you know, what do whatever. You're our family. And the experience that I had, you know, just just that freedom and something I had been longing for is just to be free and released from everything that was weighing on me. Um, I felt that here. I felt that, still feel that here. Um, if you've ever been to church here, you know that there is just a different freedom in here that you can't get outside. You can't get that at a bar. You can't get that at a club. You can't get any of that. You can't get that feeling anywhere else. So, Lindsay, we usually end our podcast with a segment called I Want You to Give Our Listeners a Final Word. Brian's, we're going to do that real quick, but after that, Brian's going to ask you a question that I want to actually end the podcast on. Um, so, before we do that, I want to ask you, I'm going to get let you, I'm going to have your final word in a form of a question, a very specific um, very pointed question to the single mom or the the addicted girl or the person that is trying to fill a void that they don't know how to fill the void and they keep filling it and plugging it with different things. I want you to give them direction right here. The secret. <clears throat> For the single mom. Um, I know that's very narrow, but I, I definitely want you to speak to the, to, to the, to the female. For the single mom, um, I lived that life for quite some time, and it's hard. It's a struggle, but you have to let God in, for one. You have to let him in. You have to let him guide you. You have to let him love you. I know as a single mom, I built walls all around because I was afraid of being hurt. You have to tear down those walls. Let God in. Let God love you. Let God show you your path. Um, 
for anyone that is struggling with addiction. Um, I have a, a play, a soft spot in my heart for, um, drug addiction because so many people look down on drug addicts. Um, they, you know, say negative, nasty things about them, but you don't know why that person is struggling with drug addiction. For myself, it was to fill a void. It was to um, take my mind to a different place. Um, So to the drug addict, again, I say you have to let God in. You have to let him work on you. You have to decide today, not tomorrow. You have to decide today, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to let these drugs consume my life the way that they have you have to decide today right now that you are willing to throw that away never pick it up again um let let god be your strength because as an addict strength varies from day to day one day you have the strength to put it down the next day you don't let God be that strength. Let him pick you up when you're down. But you have to surrender. If you don't, then you're in this vicious cycle of using and using to to mask your your true feelings. Please take it from me and just stop. Like you have to get to a point in your life where you're tired of that. And that's where I was at. I was tired of living that life. You're good. <laughs> so what I got from that is choose today. Choose today, not tomorrow, because if you choose tomorrow, there may not be. A there tomorrow. may not be a tomorrow, and waiting till tomorrow is is not a wise decision. Um, for myself, it was waking up in a hospital bed, close to death. I don't want that for anybody else. Um, I don't want that shame and that guilt to to be on anybody else so you have to choose today and and it's okay to to seek help I mean don't be embarrassed to go to um, a counselor or to a church or even if you're in the church and you're struggling with addiction go to your pastor go to anyone in your church and just all you have to say is this is what I'm struggling with and they're not there to judge you they're not there to make you feel less than they are there to help you and once you say that like it's okay I need help I never said to anyone I need help and for me it could have easily been too late and I don't want to see that um I have a soft spot in my heart for drug addicts because I've been there we don't know why people use drugs and abuse but choose today to to stop don't wait till until till tomorrow Lindsay, my final question for you about two weeks ago andrew golden died in a car wreck did you learn to forgive him or did you have to forgive him or how did that come about i, I did um i was um i was able to forgive um it was a difficult process for me, but I knew 
that I couldn't live my life waiting for an apology from him. Um, It's different when something happens and someone says, oh, I'm sorry, Um, and you're, okay, I forgive you. That's not something that ever happened in our story. Um, I just want to give everybody a quick rundown real quick. Um, Both of the shooters were, were in prison, but they were released well, the 21st birthday. Yeah, uh, right, correct. Right. So that's that's how he was killed in a car accident. Go ahead, I'm right. sorry. Um, he was released from, uh, I'm not even sure it was prison. but the Juvenile Detention Center. Right, he was released at 21. Um, for myself, I knew that I had to forgive him. Um, not because anyone said that I should or made me. Um because of all the things that I struggled with, that was one of them. I had so much hate and anger um, built up inside of me because, uh, for both of them, not just him, um, for both of them, because they made my life crazy. Um, Their actions tormented me for, for years. And... I can't say it was a specific day or a specific service or a specific time. It was just something that gradually happened. Um, I knew that in my heart I couldn't just say, oh, I forgive him. Like I had to truly talk it out and think about it and say, I do forgive him because when you experience forgiveness from God, He forgives you no matter what it is. And I knew the same God that forgave me for the lifestyle that I was living, the things that I had done, the same God that delivered me from drugs and alcohol, the same God that guided me and helped me be where I'm at now is the same God that forgave him if he asked for it. So I can't sit here and say, no, I didn't forgive him because I did, and I had forgiven him. Um, yes, he did wrong, but that's not for me to, to judge. That's not for me to um, really worry about because for myself, it was something I needed to do for myself. I needed to give him forgiveness, even if he didn't specifically ask for it from me. Um it's hard. It's hard to forgive someone that doesn't personally come to you and say, I'm sorry. I never got that opportunity. And um, I am thankful that I don't have that in my heart that I wasn't able to forgive him. Um, I did. And, you know, all I can say is that I, I truly hope that um, he had asked for forgiveness and that he was right with God and that's truly how I feel. Lindsay, you mean the world to this church. And on more of a personal level, a lot to my family. And we can't, Brian and I cannot thank you enough for sitting down with us tonight and actually opening up. Our our goal tonight was not to be a therapist for you, but to listen to your story. And like I told you before the podcast started, you never know 
who is going to listen to this and who will receive their closure from your from your story I know you're real nervous before you came on I'm good now you're good now <laughs> and Brian and I would like to say thank you we you're it really welcome. means a lot to thank us. you for asking me really thank you we all face things in life that we're going to have an opportunity to forgive or unforgive the Bible says unless you forgive neither can you be forgiven you're going to have to face things in life where you're going to have to forgive others. You're going to have to you're going to face things in life where you may even have to forgive God and there's going to be things in life you're going to have to forgive yourself over. And if you don't forgive those, neither will our Father in heaven forgive you. And forgiveness is one of the biggest tests that you're ever going to face, but it's crucial that we have a conversation about it because without forgiveness there is no liberty. Unforgiveness is drinking poison expecting the other person to die from that poison. Thank you guys for listening to the Crucial Conversation podcast.